Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful producer, Lindsay. We are streaming live from downtown Idaho Falls. And today we have Dr. Garnita on. She is a rheumatologist. She's in California. And she is going to tell a wonderful story about a life-saving story about a, a young patient with lupus um, who she ends up saving the patient's life. He was unconscious for, for, for some time and she ends up saving his life. And I got to be honest with you, as a pharmacist, I've dealt with a lot of lupus patients over the years. And I've never, I didn't know that lupus could actually render somebody unconscious. So um, you really want want to listen to this story. So you got to stay tuned for, for all the show to listen to the story. It's a wonderful story. Uh, might even bring tears to your eyes. So um, stay tuned for that. Um, as always, you can listen to us on Facebook uh, every Thursday, usually 8 to 9 a.m. Uh, for our midweek podcast and every Monday, 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And of course, catch us on YouTube. Also, we're, we're streaming live on YouTube as we speak. And all these uh, shows will be available uh, later on. Um, on those forums. So please go to our YouTube site and, and like the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site. And without, with, without further ado, I am going to shortly introduce Dr. Garnita, who is a wonderful rheumatologist and um, life-saving, as I, as I said, but she's not in the traditional healthcare system. As you guys know, um, through watching this pod podcast, we have uh, interviewed many different doctors who have gotten out of the traditional healthcare system, out of the insurance model, and went into more of a direct direct fee for service or direct care model, um, so they can better service patients. And um, that's what you'll learn today by watching the podcast. So um, she's got a wonderful resume. So. So many things on the resume, I can't remember them all. So with that, I'm going to just introduce Dr. Garnita and I will let her tell a little bit of her story. She has a wonderful story about why she got into medicine and how she became a rheumatologist. So Dr. Garnita, welcome to our show. Hi, Sean. Thank you very much for inviting me. And um, thank you to everyone that is watching us today. Um, as Sean was mentioning, I am a rheumatologist. I was born in Romania and I came into the United States in 2005, so a long time ago. Um, my, you know, my story uh, was going to medicine since none of my family members are um, in this field starts when I was a child and I was admitted one time in the hospital and I was really impressed with the job of, uh, of those people and with the respect that patients, uh, you know, kind of turn to uh, the physicians. So I put in my mind to become a doctor when I grow up and um, um, I never had anything else in my head. Uh, although I sometimes I, I look at um, you know, fashion, but that was not an option really in Romania. So um, I graduated in 2001 and I started a residency, uh, a residency in Romania in cardiology. And uh, soon after that, I started to be interested in immunology, initially transplant immunology. I came to United States as a postdoctoral fellow and um, I did some time at Harvard University, and then I uh, moved to Pittsburgh, where was the largest transplant center in the world at that time. And I had the opportunity to work also for um, kids with uh, heart transplants to do some research in the field. And um, 
I was very fortunate to work with people from universities all over the United States, big names. And um, after I completed the study, I realized that I want to come back still to the um, you know, clinical side, not only do research. So here in the United States, I pursue another residency in internal medicine. And then using my background in immunology, I transition into rheumatology, which is um, a newer field, but um, so wonderful and uh, uh, developing so fast. Wow, that is a wonderful history and pretty impressive. I um, from cardiology to rheumatology, that's quite a that's quite a change, huh? Actually, you know, rheumatology and cardiology are very well connected. As you all know, autoimmune diseases they do affect the heart pretty bad, and um, for many years, people um, knew that. You know, autoimmune diseases like lupus can affect the heart, but they didn't thought about all the autoimmune diseases, all the inflammation that is going on that could affect the heart. And here we are years later that we recognize that impact. So there is a connection there. That is, you know, I, I will tell you, Dr. Garnita, thank you for educating us on that. And I will tell you one of the wonderful things about this podcast is that I get the opportunity to to listen to experts in fields like yourself and learn so much. Every time I interview somebody um, else, I, I learn something new. And so thank you for that. I feel very honored to, to be able to, uh, to, to interview you. So thank you for educating me and our viewers, of course. So, so tell us a little bit about your history. After you decided to be a rheumatologist, you, you, you know, you kind of went to work in the traditional medical system and um, for some reason you got out. So tell us why you got out um, and tell us what you do now. So, I uh, started like everybody else uh, in the traditional system. Um, for four years, I worked in, um, in a big hospital, uh, hospital systems, where we were uh, five rheumatologists, part of the group, but we worked tremendously hard. I mean, uh, for uh, Cincinnati, we were the largest group of rheumatologists in Cincinnati, and we had a lot of patients. So. After a few years, uh, you start to understand the difference between, um, you know, practicing for the patient or practicing for the system. And um, as I told you, my drive was to serve the patient. And that was my goal. And after a while, I started to feel like um, you lose that personal touch to the patient. That was one thing. And then second, the time with the patient was extremely limited because we had too many patients. And obviously, you try to serve everybody, but you have to cut from somewhere. You cut from the time or you cut from the value. And that doesn't bring anything good for the patient. And then, you know, the traditional system pushes you to, to document everything. So instead of concentrating on the patient, you start concentrating on the, you know, on the documentation to get a better pay because otherwise uh, the hospital which judges you as a productivity based on the productivity model, they consider you um, not valuable. Um, but they all talk about, you know, uh, patient satisfaction and uh, the value of our care. But in, in reality, we focus more on things that do not bring anything to the patient. Right. And, and so tell me a little bit 
about the documentation, if you'll go into that a little bit. Um, so I think patients do realize that sometimes doctors seem distracted when they're documenting, yeah. you know, on their computer and they're in the room documenting on the computer. So you're telling me that that documentation really has nothing to do with the patient care. It has to do with reimbursement from an insurance model. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, you know, if you talk to my patients, they will tell you that I never type in the room with them. You know, besides I put some labs or I put there some instructions for them when they leave. Other than that, I would never type with them in the room because I consider that you cannot focus on the patient. But what that caused me is a lot of burnout because think about I am a female, a mother, a wife, and I'm a mother of three kids. When I was getting home, you know, I had to cut from my time with the family to type notes. And the notes are not easy. I mean, you have to put in the notes a lot of things. And even if you use templates, you cannot copy and paste, okay? Um, you have to construct a note in such a way to be billed and to get the reimbursement that you need. And so tell me, now how your practice has changed oh uh, it changed tremendously um i have a lot of time with the patient i will give the patient an hour if it's new to me it's gonna have an hour and um if it's a follow-up even a, an easy follow-up just for medication management and the patient will still get a half an hour and during this time we have um we have the opportunity to discuss everything from, you know, their history, from their medication, and then they have time to ask me questions. That's another thing. Patients, you know, you focus on telling them what they need to do, but you don't have the time in the traditional model to listen to what they have to say or what's their concern. You know, when you come up with a plan and you bring them in the picture a biologic medication, which if they go on YouTube and they research it, they're going to freak out. Uh, they don't have that opportunity to ask you questions. So what they do, they go back to Dr. Google, they start to research that and they get very, very scared. And then it starts a whole new process to convince the patient that your plan is valid and your plan has a chance to work. Or they go in all these groups on Facebook or I don't know, there are all kinds of support groups where people start to express their all their frustrations with the system, with the treatments, with their doctors. Um, so they get that personally. And instead of giving the treatment a chance, they get very scared. So it takes us as physicians much more time to develop a plan or to implement a plan that will be actually, actually valuable for them. And on top of that, I do have the time to discuss about what I like the most, to educate them about what the disease means, what's the prognosis of their disease, what's their treatment options. You know, I always give patients options. I don't tell them, you do this because this is going to work. No, I give them options. I'm there for them to coach them to take the best option for them. And then on top of that, I, I discuss about a lot of things that are important because that paradigm of treating one disease with, you know, having that target, the disease, and treating with one medication is not always working. Right. So, and, and I think, 
you know, giving a patient options really kind of empowers them with them with their health because they take charge of it a little bit. And I, you know, as as you you will probably agree, if the patient doesn't, it takes you know the patient has to be involved in their own care to have the best compliance and the best results. So giving them options is one way to do that because then they can take charge of their care. I agree. This is a two-way relationship, and if the patient does not trust you as the healer. They will not do what you say, or they will, or they will do it not properly. Or if they don't understand exactly, for them it's a new world. So when you get diagnosed with an autoimmune disease like rheumatoid arthritis, let's say, it changes your perspective tremendously. You get in another um, in another way of looking at things. It's not easy for the patients. You don't deliver them with a name and then you move to the next patient. It's a huge impact, especially right. on young people, on young patients. When you tell them you have a disease that could disable you in 10 years, that's very hard for patients. It's, it's not easy. So you have to spend that time to explain, yes, you do have it, but yes, we have treatment. You have to give them the perspective of um, all these, you know, 50 years of research, which brought significant change in the outcome of these patients. You know, if we were looking 50 years ago, these patients had absolutely no chance. They will end up in a wheelchair. They will end up, um, you know, disabled. And... Um, that doesn't happen today. So they have to know that. But if you are not there to explain them, to kind of go with the patient through the process um, of acceptance, of being grateful that they have options, you know, you're there like, you're very impersonal. You're not helping them. You give them a pill and then you move on. I don't think that's the role of a physician. Right, and so, you mentioned earlier how cardiology and rheumatology have a lot in common because of inflammation. And and rheumatoid arthritis, basically, you know, arthritis in the name is, you know, itis is inflammation. So we talk about inflammation a lot in medicine now, I think. And, and I'm, I think maybe a lot in, you know, more of a functional standpoint when a lot of the, the disease processes, whether it be arthritis or probably um, osteoporosis or, um, you know, lupus, uh, fibromyalgia, there's actually an inflammatory um, component of a lot of these diseases and cardiology being one of them, um, you know, so can you explain a little bit about inflammation and, you know, I know that's a really, really broad topic, but can you explain a lot about inflammation and how as a, in our lifestyle, whether we have a disease or not right now, how we can decrease inflammation in our bodies? Yes, definitely. You know, the old paradigm of medicine was looking to, you know, one organ and those diseases associated with one organ. But you mentioned a couple of things that um, make a lot of sense in, uh, in rheumatology. Um, and makes a lot of sense recently. We uh, thought that super specializing in one topic will be able to cure it all or um, you know, make a huge difference. Actually, all these diseases that you mentioned, they are linked together because our mind, our soul, and our body is linked together. So we recently, and I've seen that in the last 10 years, we started to accept that there is a linkage between 
our organs, our mind, and our stress and our inflammatory markers, autoimmune diseases that um, you know will be connected in a way. Um, as you said, rheumatoid arthritis can cause osteoporosis. Rheumatoid arthritis can cause heart disease. And that's all connected because of this inflammatory, you know, inflammatory medium in our bodies. Um, stress, you know, recently stress was linked to inflammation. When I did many years ago, when I did my uh, PhD, it was thought that there are no immune cells between uh, in, in our brain or in our uh, spine. But then they realized, no, immune system, which is a very complex system, is very well connected to everything. Okay, it's like, uh, you know, we thought that it's defending us towards germs, and that's the role. And we realize that now that's much more than that. Our immune cells are the ones that are involved in triggering inflammation, triggering atherosclerosis, triggering, uh, you know, uh, degradation of the bone and um, which will translate in osteoporosis. So our immune system, it, it was you know, it's probably still a lot unknown about our immune system, but it's very well connected. It's also extremely important to understand that how we relate, you know, how we relate through our nutrition to the outside medium, it's going to impact our body. So that's why I talk to my patient about how important is nutrition, sleep, the level of stress, exercise into their, you know, control of a chronic disease. That, so, wow, there's, that's a lot. That's a, a lot there. And I, you know, one thing I just want to kind of comment on is I think, you know, as humans, we try to compartmentalize as scientists, we try to compartmentalize our bodies. So, you know, like you say, we try to make it one individual organ and even the immune system, as vast as we know it is, we try to come, you know, we try to kind of minimize it and say, oh, there's no immune system in our brain. But if you think mm -hmm. about how our bodies are designed, that's actually kind of very narrow-minded. Yes, we should know that everything from our head to our toe affects our body in general. And we only know what we know until we study it. So not until we really studied the immune system in the brain. I don't I, that goes well beyond my capabilities. Did we really find it? Because we weren't even looking for it yet. So I, I love your comments on that. I mean, that's that's awesome. And it just goes to show how everything we do with our bodies, there's not everything affects everything else. So diet, nutrition, and exercise are so important for any disease state, pretty much, right? Yes, it's very, very important. We, um, you know, in the last 50 years, uh, it was a huge push towards accepting, you know, processed food. And um, a lot of people, they embrace that because they think uh, they, there is not enough time or there is um, not enough resources or organic food is too expensive or, you know, I don't know how to cook. That's too, too, too much for me. My parents didn't cook. I never learned to cook. But cooking is not such a, you know big science you just have to try it you have to experience uh food and um i recently went through a very organized uh, 
course about nutrition from Stanford University, which kind of brought into my attention how industry change our mentality about cooking, the process of cooking, food in general. And um, if we don't pay attention to those things, we will very rapidly fall <laughs> into their uh, trap uh, because um, nutrition it's extremely important for us it actually gives us the power to live okay if we don't eat we don't live so right. what you put in your body is what you're gonna become and if you base your diet only on processed food or fast food or food that you buy already done from a supermarket um, is not uh, healthy. And something that I learned that I really, really enjoyed, they said something like, if you go in a store and you look at a label and it has a lot of things written on that label, that's very processed food. Right. <laughs> if you grow and um, if you go to where uh, there are a lot of fruits and vegetables, do you see any label on those? No, there is no label because there is no need. So I love that. I actually started to tell my patients, go there where you don't see any labels. Buy that without any labels. Do you see any labels on salads? No. Do you see any labels on you know, legumes? No. So there is no need for that. So, um, and then, you know, the other thing that I draw attention to my patients is the amount of sugar that we eat. It's incredible. Everything has sugar here. Bread has sugar. A ham has sugar, uh, you name it. Crackers have sugar. Why do we need so much sugar? You know, um, so I try to draw attention um, because I feel like we are kind of trying to disregard that. We know, but we put it on the side, you know, intentionally or not. Right. Wow. That's great. I, I, I love it. I love it, Dr. Granita, that you're. Um, we talk about this. We talk about stuff like this on the podcast all the time, and you are just really hitting home. I think what uh, we have talked to our um, listeners and viewers about before. So I really appreciate it. And coming from a rheumatologist that specializes in chronic disease, literally, that's kind of what you specialize in: in inflammation, and that is a driver of healthcare. I should say sick care in our nation because so many people are inflicted with all these diseases like that, and you know, a, a lot of them could be at least helped with um, diet alone. I agree. I think that there are a few components that you have to consider. Medication is there to help one small piece. And it's good that it's there. I never say to the patient, don't take medication. Medication has to be complemented by other things that you do in your life. I mean, the fact that you come and you, you expect me, and that's something that I learned in time. Patients come to me and they expect a solution. I don't have, I have part of their solution. I'm there to help them to identify the problem. So what we are treating are just the symptoms but we don't treat the roots of the problem. Right. So if you don't go back in your own environment, and of course we cannot change genetics. Genetics are there, but on the genetics, everybody has genetics behind them. But on that genetics background, we come with our environmental factors, which can mean, you know, nutrition, 
pollution, where you live, how you live, um, how much exercise you do, and how much stress you put on your body. Um, you know, we in the last, I mean, my generation, the generation that comes after me, although they have everything, we are very stressed. Okay, we are stressed about our job, we are stressed about our careers, we are stressed about money, we are stressed about everything. And if we are not stressed, we'll find something to be stressed about. Right. right. Well, and yeah, and I think what we need to, you know, it being you talk about, uh, I've heard you speak before, and you talk about mindfulness. We need to be mindful of that. Can you can you comment on that a little bit about mindfulness? Yeah. Yes, I will comment about that. I'm not a trainer into mindfulness to begin with, but I do read about it. I try to practice it and I try to encourage people to practice it. And the reason is that I learned, guess what, from my patients, patients that were practicing that, one in particular who taught me about mindfulness, I learned about the importance of that. And then I went and researched it and I found wonderful resources. I mean, very strong evidence, scientific evidence about the importance of mindfulness. And mindfulness can mean everything, can mean from, you know, controlling your breath or doing some breath breathing exercises to meditation, but also love, gratitude, the power of a hug. We cannot do that these times, but I'm, I'm afraid that we forget about what we have in the present moment and we concentrate too much about the present the future or we concentrate too much about what happened in the past and we forget to leave the moment or to be grateful to what we have at this point um reading about the importance of psycho psychoimmunology you know there is a new field if you didn't know about psychoimmunology how our wow. how our um you know mood influences the immune system and um, you all know that when you are very stressed you're going to get sick right you're going to get the flu we knew that from our parents you know if you are too upset or if you're too stressed or if you are between seasons your immune systems will drop and you will get the flu right, right. So we knew that but just recently there are a lot of science and a lot of people, incredibly smart people from, you know, Harvard, Stanford, um, um, from Vanderbilt. I look into this because I couldn't believe it in the beginning, how powerful it is. And then um, many people know about John Kabat-Zinn, the um, doctor who started the MBSR program in United States in the late 1970s at University of Massachusetts. I actually took that course to see, to understand the principles of mindfulness. And um, it's a wonderful course. I encourage everybody to take it. Um, but you just have to commit to that, that type of practice. Like we practice, you know, piano, we should practice mindfulness as well. Like we dedicate time to exercise, we should practice mm -hmm you know, mindfulness the same way. Um, and you don't have to be a Buddhist monk or you don't have right. to. You just have to take the time uh, for yourself and for your mind. I think that's the most important thing that people have to realize. Um, and it's not easy in the beginning, I will tell you sincerely, uh, because your mind is racing. And what I learned from this course is that 
it's okay. That's normal for your mind to go wild and race, but just accept it and let it go, which was, again, another concept for a physician. I will tell you this, uh, for a physician, uh, those kind of concepts are very hard to digest. Yeah. Well, I, and I think one of the reasons why as healthcare providers, you know, we learn all this science in school and, you know, we kind of get an attitude that we know how to fix something um, because we learn all these protocols and treatment plans. But in reality, if the patient is not thinking positively, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's about their disease or whether it's just about their day in general, it's really hard to heal them. And, you know, I look at it like this. If you wake up in the morning and you think today is going to be a bad day, it's going to be a bad day. I mean, that's just, you know, but if you wake up today and you say you're grateful to be alive, you're grateful God gave you another day and you're grateful to, to have to go to, that you have a job to go to work at, um, you're grateful for those things, then it's going to be a good day. You know, and that's part of mindfulness, right? I totally agree. Think about the placebo effect on every study. That's what uh, it's, uh, it's about. You know, patients think, patient hope that they get the right medication and they hope it's going to be better. So that's why 20% or up to 20% of these people, the placebo effect is huge. So our mind is connected to our well-being. And, you know, I mentioned the name of uh, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn because he was the first one who started to use this, um, you know, mindfulness-based stress reduction programs to prove that will impact chronic pain, uh, inflammation. He did studies on patients with psoriasis, which is an autoimmune disease, right. and reacted so much better after eight weeks in the study doing mindfulness, they improve compared to people that they didn't. And these are studies that you find very easily. Just Google it and you will be like me, which were I was never trained into this, but I started to discover what will be something that will help me, my patients, my family, but, uh, you know, in particular, patients with chronic conditions. Yeah, uh, that's that's wonderful. Thank you for that. That's uh, definitely a good tip for our viewers and listeners. So I got a question for you, studying cardiology a little bit and thinking about inflammation. I've, I've heard about this before, and I want to know what your thoughts are on it. So um, you, you talked a little bit about atherosclerosis. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when we think – first thing that comes to mind to me when I think of atherosclerosis, I think of cholesterol because that's kind of how we monitor it, sort of. I mean, that's how we maybe initially monitor it. I've heard that, um, you know, the cholesterol way is – cholesterol is really just – a marker of inflammation. It's and so we should really be looking at more things than just cholesterol when it comes to cardiovascular health. Um, knowing what you know about inflammation, what are your thoughts on that? So that's a very complex uh, process, and I actually was interested into uh, you know the link between autoimmunity and uh, cardiovascular disease. And I will tell you briefly that um, cholesterol is part of our body, has to be there, it's part of what we are. So our body produces cholesterol, uh, genetically or not, I mean, genetically, we are supposed to have cholesterol into our body. We concentrated too much on the cholesterol, and then we understood that there are fractions of cholesterol that 
you know, if they're too high or they're too low, that will impact the, um, the risk of developing atherosclerosis. And then later on, it was recognized that the bad cholesterol has to be, you know, they, they recognize the LDL cholesterol as a bad cholesterol, the HDL as a good cholesterol, and they try to analyze that ratio. But in people with a lot of inflammation, actually, we cannot rely on that. So um, later on, when they look at um, atherosclerosis as part of the inflammatory process, they come up with the idea to monitor the C-reactive protein. You heard about probably about the high-sensitive C-reactive protein, mm -hmm. which is a marker of, you know, increased risk for atherosclerosis. But atherosclerosis and cardiovascular disease are not related only to cholesterol. I want people to understand that. We look at certain things. We are, you know, narrowing our mind towards cholesterol when in fact nutrition, exercise, level of stress are, you know, a combination of factors that will lead to cardiovascular diseases. So I want people to think broad, not look only about cholesterol. Because when we come to the doctor and say, hey, okay, I'm going to give you a medication for cholesterol, but that doesn't mean anything. We're going to change the ratio there. But if you don't eat right, if you don't exercise, and if you're extremely stressed, your cardiovascular risk is the same. So that medication will help you just a little bit, as we said before. Right. So it's a complex situation. And yeah. in diseases, I tell patients all the time, patients that are newly diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, especially males, okay, I tell them this. If, because many of them, they don't want to be treated in the beginning. They said, oh, I don't want to get on these uh, drugs. They are too powerful. They are too dangerous. Um, and uh, I do not want, I can live with my hands uh, shifted. That's no problem. We're in pain. I'll go and take something for the pain. And I tell them, that's not only the problem. Your problem will be, you know, like we said, this inflammation that will reflect on your eyes, on your heart. So when they turn 40 or 50, when they are diagnosed in their 20s, in, the, in 10 or 20 years, their cardiovascular risk is three times more because they live in this environment of inflammation. Their body is under constant attack. So, And when they hear about the heart issue, they're more receptive. But you have to tell people that inflammation can affect your eyes, your brain, your heart and also your lungs, and also your kidneys. So there are a lot of connection uh, with inflammation and the other parts of the body. Right. Thank you for that. That's uh, wonderful. Wonderful. Um, okay. So you've got a great patient story and a great patient success story of a young lupus patient um, where you essentially saved his life. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yes, I will tell the story with pleasure. Actually, I published this case with one of my residents. So this is a 22-year-old, um, very young, of course, African-American gentleman that a few weeks before he was admitted in the hospital, he was doing exercise and he had to stop doing his exercise because he started to have severe pain in um, the left calf, something like that. So he went to the emergency room because he was in tremendous amount of pain. And they told him that he probably, you know, had a sprain of a muscle or a tendon or something like that. And he was 
sent home. A week after that, he was again in the emergency room because he had acute shortness of breath. This time they look further, they diagnose him with a pulmonary emboli. He did not have any, you know, risk factors and he was pretty, he was heavy, but pretty active. And um, um, they diagnosed him with a pulmonary emboli. They start the anticoagulation and in three days they sent him back home. So a few days being home, this um, young guy who was working in a bank, uh, so a very respectful gentleman, he started to be very confused, combative, and he lost his consciousness. In a couple of hours, he started to uh, transform from a normal person to someone that lost his consciousness. So they thought maybe he had a brain bleed or something. So they brought him to the hospital. The gentleman ended up in the um, ICU and uh, being there in the middle of all these tests that they were doing, they also do the, did a CAT scan of the head and that was followed by an MRI and they showed that he had severe inflammation of his brain. So nobody knew why this young gentleman would have something like that. And luckily for this um, patient, one of my residents, um, um, a young lady that is doing rheumatology today, actually, she rotated with me a few weeks before she saw this case. So she went straight to his family, asked questions, and they identified that maybe someone in the family had lupus or something, autoimmune disease. The, the, the question was an autoimmune disease. So the resident ordered the DNA, the DNA is positive, and guess what? With a positive DNA, who do they call? The rheumatologist, of course. So I got involved in the case, and indeed the patient had lupus with brain involvement, actually. That's why the patient had actually um, a clot in his leg, which actually then transformed into a clot in the lung. And then because his disease was wild at that point, he ended up with inflammation of the brain. We treated this gentleman, and from... Uh, you know, from someone that was not able to talk, I did not talk to him at all through that whole hospitalization. From a gentleman that was not able to talk, when he came to see me in the office, he was walking, talking, and today he is back to his normal life. He was uh, saved. Wow, wonderful story. I mean, basically the timing and all that that they were able, you know, that 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 resident of yours, um, you know, was able to recognize that and then, you know, do the test and call you. I mean, basically you saved the guy's life probably because they, other than that, they're just going to give him life support measures probably, right? Because they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know how to fix fix the issue. I mean, I, I can tell you of, I've treated, you know, hundreds of patients that have had lupus and my, you know, 25 plus years of being a pharmacist and um, I've never ever heard of a case where a lupus patient was unconscious from lupus. I had no idea that it could affect their brain like that. So I mean, that's a wonderful success story and I'm so glad that you were there to save that patient's life. So what a great story. Thank you. Um, it's just the exposure just to recognize certain diseases. Um, it takes a little bit of time 
Um, but people that are trained in rheumatology, they know that we ask about everything and we take that time and that's what we need to take the time to kind of dig in the story, especially when you have a patient without these factors, uh, a patient that cannot give you the story and you just dig through the files, try to understand what happened in the last three weeks. Right. So dramatic. Uh, the family was all there and they did not know they were keep telling me that he is healthy guy and they were frustrated because nobody was able to give them a straight answer and obviously the risk of the treatment that he got was um you know was pretty high and we couldn't promise them anything but they took the chance for him because he was not able to be part of the decision and the parents said you know if he has a chance in this world let's give him the steroids let's give him that cyclophosphamide and try to save him and i'm so happy that he was saved um i was amazed uh, i will tell you sincerely i i did not thought he's gonna make it unfortunately but he was um saved that's awesome. So, so tell me, you know, somebody with the training that you have, the expertise that you have, the experience you have, um, you got out of the traditional model to go into, um, you know, more of a direct model. And can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how expensive is it to see to see a doctor like you? Um, so the model that I want to create is all about access. Uh, transparency and affordable uh, model and is not I do not consider it's expensive you know you have you my prices are all transparent on my website people can go in there and can look and decide and it's not only about the cost of um, a consultation I tried very hard and I was successful to bring down the cost of all the labs. You all know how expensive it is to do autoimmune labs. I was able to drop the prices down significantly and the patients will know from the beginning how much it's going to cost them to do you know certain labs if we have to do it all because sometimes people or physicians they just order everything because they want to make sure they want to maximize that visit but do you need all those labs we can discuss we can decide okay we can do this now and we can wait to see what these labs will show and we can proceed further to do the rest of them. I also was able to find solutions for imaging. You know how expensive is an MRI, right? Or a CAT scan. I was able to identify um, places uh, in the states where I am uh, licensed to offer them transparent prices for CAT scans or MRI or X-rays. And the same with medication. I was able to identify resources, pharmacies that will give cash price medication unbelievably cheaper than uh, the traditional you know pharmacy models and uh, I think that's the value and then they have a direct connection with me they don't have any middleman uh, person they want uh, you know they have a question they can straight the question they can direct the question to me so do you have that that's great and you know as a physician ad, advocating for transparent pricing um, imaging pharmacy labs um, we've had you know doctors like yourself that are more direct access type doctors and it's amazing the labs can be 10 times less expensive oh, than that's true. normally that's very true. right very true. and um, 
I don't think I don't think people realize and you know I use the word expensive and that was a bad term what I should have asked is how affordable you can be because you know these doctors like yourself that have gotten out of the traditional model it's unbelievable how affordable you guys are um yes you um, know it, it's usually usually less than what we pay a month for our cell phone bills i mean honestly i mean seriously so can you talk are you fee for service are you a um or do you do a monthly membership model or or how does that work so at this point in time because i started this practice a few months ago i mean you know the practice was conceived i would say uh, through the course of the last year but i started to see patients effectively at the beginning of um september i um you know i started to see patients and my goal will be <clears throat> at this point i'm fee for service but for patients that will require um, three visits per year, let's say patients with rheumatoid arthritis, they do require at least three, three times a year to be seen and have lab work to make sure that uh, you know, their body um, is not affected by the medication that we take, that we give them, sorry. We have to have that kind of visits. And even for patients that are on biologics, you know, insurance companies which approve the biologics, they will request an appointment with the physician to make sure that the medication is worthwhile to pay for it. So I will offer these patients a membership model, which will include the labs that they need. Um, but it's just a, a projection for the near future. Yeah. So what, how do, how do, what, st so what states are you licensed in? I Can you... Yes, I am what? licensed in Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, and California, and um, I am waiting to be licensed. Uh, I applied for Arizona and uh, Texas, but it's still a process, as you all know, to be approved. And so I'm assuming you can do video, you're, you're actually um, live in California, but you can do video conference with those patients in those states, correct? Yes, I do telemedicine and um, uh, they can access me from everywhere. I mean, from their home, from their car. I had patients calling me from their car. Um, but that convenience to have access to me when you need it. Uh, and you don't have to travel for two hours to see, um, especially just for medication management. I always find that very tricky. I had patients from, when I lived in Cincinnati, I had patients from... Indiana that were traveling about two hours to see me. Okay, so right. that was very hard for patients, not for me. I would see them 10 minutes, but I would have done that the same way just by talking to them uh, on the phone, you know, but it's better to see the person that you are talking to. You have better, to, it's better to see how they feel. Right, right. So tell us, how do how do patients get a hold of you, Dr. Granita? So they can um, call, um, they can call me. Um, I have a phone number which is listed on my website and they can also look on my website and try to schedule an appointment. Um, they can find, they can find me very easily. I what's have your, a website. What's your website? So the website is called rheumatologistoncall.com or it's my name, you know, I have two domain, it's dianagurnitamd.com. I think you have a Facebook page, Rheumatologist on Call also, correct? 
Yes, the Facebook page, I use that to educate people. It's my goal to have people reach out to me and ask questions. And it's it's my pleasure to educate patients about, you know, new things that are happening in rheumatology, uh, to educate them about diseases, about treatments, and about lifestyle medicine. I always emphasize the importance of what you do besides medication. Perfect. So, Dr. Granita, um, as we finish this this uh, podcast up, what what fires you up about what you do? I mean, um, I love patients and I love patient care. And um, the fact that you can give patients better care outside of the traditional models motivates me the most. I think that, you know, that kind of relationship that you develop with the patient as the healer it's um, second to none. And that kind of reward that you get from patients that they come to you very, uh, in a lot of pain and um, without hope, when you change that, that's tremendously, um, you know, that, that, that's a huge drive for me. Awesome. I love that. You got, you, you definitely, you know, your passion comes across uh, on this podcast. You, I, I can definitely tell that you're all about um, healing the patient. And that's just wonderful to see that you can take the time in the model that you have that you have now, that you can take the time to really do that. So we are streaming your website as you as we speak so patients can, can see that, um, potential patients and our listeners and viewers, of course. So um, that's awesome. Thank you so much for, for being on today, Dr. Garnita. I really, really appreciate it. And that wraps up our show today. Uh, you've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Tune in Monday, 1 to 2 p.m., where we have Tara Dawn. Um, she is a counselor, and she'll be um, talking to us kind of, kind of, kind of about the mindfulness that we were talking about today. So it's a great time to tr- uh, transition into that, and it'll, it'll be a great topic. So thank you for listening. Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Yeah.